0: is tantamount to ministerial malpractice. I think the church needs to hear the story of Job on a pretty regular basis. A pretty regular basis. So here we are in the book of Job. I want to share a true story with you. In July 1967, a beautiful young 17-year-old woman, she dove into the murky waters of Chesapeake Bay, which is on the eastern coast of America. She woke up in a hospital face down in some kind of canvas frame. Her fifth cervical vertebra had been shattered. She would be a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She writes this, I laid there hour after hour staring at the floor. All I could think was, way to go, God. I'm a brand new Christian. Is this how you treat your your new believers? I prayed for a closer walk with you. If this is your idea of an answered prayer, I'm never going to trust you again. I can't believe I have to lay face down and do nothing but count the tiles on the floor in this stupid torture rack. I hate my existence. She continues, My thoughts got darker and darker. No longer was my bitterness a tiny trickle. It became a raging torrent. Then it got worse. I got hit with a bad case of the flu. Suddenly, not being able to move was peanuts compared to not being able to breathe. I was done. I was broken. She continues I can't do this. I can't live like this. I would rather die than face this. Oh God, I don't have the strength to face this. I would rather die. Help me, God. Fast forward. 40 years, she writes, I didn't leave my desperation back in the hospital 40 years ago. Desperation is always a part of a quadriplegic's life every single day. Each morning, she tells in her book, each morning a girlfriend of hers will come and help her get ready for the day. She writes about that experience. There are so many mornings I hear my girlfriend coming in the front door and I think, oh God, I cannot do this. I am so tired. I don't think I can make it to lunch. Oh God, I cannot do quadriplegia today. I have no resource for this. I have no strength for this, she says. We'll come back to her in just a bit. Peter was reclining uh, with the Lord Jesus the night before He was crucified. You may remember it's a a famous passage in in the Bible, the Last Supper. And Jesus was teaching about His coming... uh, about the coming glory and the coming kingdom of God. And suddenly he turns to Peter and he says, he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to... Does anybody know? To sift you like wheat. Now I'm sure this was a shock to Peter. If you look at the, the uh, New King James Version, it says, Satan has asked for you. One of the paraphrases says it like this. Satan has asked to have you. Now I'm sure you know what it means to sift wheat. It just means to use a device that will that will separate the, the coarse particles from the fine particles. If you look at a Greek lexicon, the Greek word translated sift here in this context, it means to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. I think that's self-evident in the text. But it means to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. In essence, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked permission to try to overturn your faith. Beloved, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, Satan has asked for you. He has asked for you. That he might sift you. That he might have you. No doubt, this was a startling thing for Peter to hear from the, the mouth of his Lord. But I suspect he was not overly concerned for two different, very different reasons. Peter knew that Jesus was God. He'd watch Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb. He knew that Jesus was omnipotent. He also knew one other thing, that Jesus loved him. Peter knew it. He had no doubt that Jesus loved him. He was confident that this omnipotent, loving God would spare him any serious temporal trial. He was confident, I think. And this is just my opinion. I think another reason that Peter might not be too alarmed is that Peter has a lot of confidence in himself. You know this from the New Testament, right? Peter thought he was a super-duper Christian guy. He told Jesus, he said, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to the cross for you. I'll never abandon you. Peter had a high opinion of himself. Peter, probably like most of us, thought he had a pretty good handle on exactly what God would and would not allow in his life. Peter thought God was omnipotent and God loved him. No serious trial would come to him. Peter thought he could take anything that Satan dished out. (laughs) If you know the Bible, beloved, you know that Peter is wrong on both counts. Peter is wrong on both counts. So I hope you have your Bible open to Job chapter 1. You heard the text read. I won't reread it. Uh, Job is the the greatest man in the East. God had prospered him greatly. And there's a day uh, in verse 6 where the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan was among them. God brings up Job, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered My servant Job? There's no one like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears the Lord. Satan answered uh, to the Lord and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Has thou not hedged him up? You've blessed him. Everything he does, you've blessed him. Verse 11. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. Now I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. Now it happened on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 18, While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job's world as he knew it just ended. Unbearable loss, unspeakable pain, utter despair, perfect anguish. Perfect anguish. Satan has asked to sift Job like wheat. And sovereign God has given Job permission Satan wants to overthrow Job's faith. This is Satan's goal. What will Job do? Maybe more importantly tonight, what will you do? What will you do when your hardest day comes? I've often heard it said that the book of Job is, it describes a lesson on why Christians suffer. That's not even close to what the book of Job is about. The book of Job is about why do men love and serve God even when it's hard? Why do men love and serve God when they lose everything? Why do real Christians, why do born-again Christians still love Him and still worship Him and still serve Him when they lose everything? That's what Job's about. Let me ask you, why do you serve God, beloved? Why do you serve God? Why do you profess to be a believer? Why do you serve the Lord? It's a huge question for us. I've been in vocational and lay ministry for almost 30 years. I counted it up. I can't believe it's been 30 years. Man, I'm getting old for 30 years. And I you know, I encounter people and it seems like they just want to use God God as a as a rabbit's foot. You know, he's just a lucky charm. I meet these kind of people all the time. They're just they just want to keep God blessing them. That's really what it's about. To keep God working for them. It's not really about I love this God no matter what. It's about I want this God to bless me. You know, it's that false prosperity junk that you hear preached in much of the modern church. Health, wealth and prosperity. Beloved, it's a false gospel. You've heard me say it many, many times. This is Satan's allegation against Job. He says, the only reason Job worships you, God, is because you bless Him. It's the only reason. Beloved, he's making that same accusation about you right now. The only reason that he professes allegiance to you is because you bless Him. That's the only reason. This is the accusation of Satan. It's a conditional love. He only loves you conditionally, not unconditionally. If you withhold your blessing, Job will not love and worship you any longer. This is Satan's accusation. Let me ask you, beloved. Do you love the blessing of God more than you love God? This it's epidemic in the modern church. It's epidemic in the modern church. We've become so superficial. We've become so superficial that many people really actually love the blessings of God more than they love God. This is what's uh, in question here in the book of Job. And this is not academic for us, beloved. You and I need to get this sorted out. We need to understand why we're professed to be followers of Jesus. Because I'll tell you again, Satan is coming after you if you profess to be a follower of Jesus. He will be coming after you. He will be accusing you before the Lord. You know, 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone. Well, he's writing to Christians. Satan's not interested in unbelievers. He's seeking a Christian to devour. He's seeking a Christian to overthrow their faith, to prove that their faith really is false. They only like that lucky charm called God. They don't really love Him. And they don't really serve Him for simply who He is. Satan desires to show to God and to the world that many just serve Him for what He can do for us. In effect, again the false gospel that we love the gifts more than we love the giver. We love the blessings more than we love the one who sends them. John MacArthur says it, well, Satan accuses men to God and accuses God to men. Is that not true? He's accusing me right now before the Lord. But Satan also accuses God to men. During this trial, you know you've been through trials, some of you have. Maybe even as Christians. And you know Satan comes to you and whispers in your ear, God doesn't care about you. God's not paying attention. God's not big enough to help you. God's not God enough to deliver you. Doesn't He come to you? He comes to me. You know, I've told you you a lot. You can't listen to Satan and you can't listen to yourself. Or you can't be a Christian at all. What do you have to do? You can't listen to yourself. What do you have to do? Preach to yourself. Man, when Satan comes... Just get in the Word. Slay Him with the Word. And He'll flee from you. But during this trial, Satan is whispering in Job's ear, Where's your God now, Job? Where's your faith now, Job? Job? Satan, he likes to come and accuse God to us. Look at Job's response. Would this be your response? Chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. And what? someone tell me, what did he do? What does it say in the text? He cursed God. What did he do? He worshiped. Would you? Would that be your first response? Would you fall on your face and worship? After all this unspeakable loss, he worshiped. Verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin nor did he blame God. This is a true believer. He just worships. He doesn't understand it. He just worships. Beloved, this is what real Christians do. We can't pause it. We can't figure it out. We can't dissect it. We can't diagram it. We worship. We worship. Job teaches us what real Christians do when it's really, really hard. Would you worship God in this situation? If God took everything you had, would you love Him? If you lost everything tonight, would you worship Jesus Christ? We profess that He is... Almighty, we profess that He's all-knowing. We profess that He's all-loving. But if you lost everything, would you you lose faith in all of that? Would Satan be right about you? Was uh, Was it simply good for business that you were going with God? That you were professing to be a Christian because you wanted those blessings coming? Is that what it's about? Beloved, we need to ask ourselves these questions Job worships. Look at chapter 2. I'll summarize verses 1-10 through ten here. Again, the sons of God were coming before the Lord. Satan is among them. And the Lord again uh, mentions that, uh, have, you considered, have you considered Job? He's a blameless and upright man. And you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Do you understand the sovereignty of God here? Are you seeing the clear sovereignty of God? You know, you have so many... Folks out in the who call themselves part of the church and they just focus on Satan all the time, they just focus on him. You're never going to see uh, Job even mention Satan, he's not looking at secondary causes, he's only looking at God. Beloved, there's a great lesson for us to learn here. Verse 7 Satan went out, he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a broken piece of pottery to scrape himself. Verse 9, his wife said, Do you still hold fast your integrity? This is not good counsel, wives. Don't ever say this to your husband. (laughs) Future wives, curse God and die, she says. Verse 10, but he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? There it is right on the pages of Scripture. God is sovereign in the good. He's sovereign in the adversity. There's so much false teaching here. As if Satan was outside the power of God. Beloved, Satan is a dog on a leash. He's merely a dog on a leash. Don't focus on Satan. We focus on an almighty, sovereign God. Job, he holds fast. He holds fast to God, but he doesn't understand what's going on. Beloved, when the hard days come, you never understand what's going on. You can't understand it. You know, people ask me a lot all the time, why? I say, I don't know. But I know this. God will complete the good work He's begun in you. And I also know this, that He works all things for the good of those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. That's what I know. I don't know exactly what all is going on in your life and what God is doing in your life. I don't understand it, but I know He's bringing you to Himself. Come on. I know He's doing that. Let me ask you, beloved, is it okay not to know? Is it okay with you? When it gets really hard? Is it okay if you can't understand it? Is it okay if you can't figure it out? Is that okay? Do you trust God with that? Will you trust God with not understanding you may never understand until you get on the other side. Is it okay if you don't understand? I meet mean, so many Christians. They just want to understand. Beloved, if you really walk with the living God, many times you will not understand. He's, he's way above you. He's infinitely above you. If you're really with Him, if you really are intimate with Him, there'll be many times you'll not understand what's going on. But you can always trust Him. You can always trust him job lost everything including his theology he has this superficial theology that god always blesses the godly and he always afflicts the wicked well a fifth grader who observes the world knows better we know sometimes that the evil man prospers at least in a temporal sense yes and sometimes the godly suffer greatly we understand this you don't have to be very bright to understand these things but this was the theology of the day he had god in a box I meet so many Christians. They just got God in this little box. They think they got Him figured out. (laughs) God doesn't like being in a box. If you've got God in a box, He'll teach you to get Him out of the box. He'll come to you. He's teaching Job. Get me out of the box. It's one of the things that God is doing. Just one of those things. Let me read a quote to you from John Piper. I love this quote. Please listen to me carefully. He's 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 spot on here. He's spot on about the modern church. Listen to what he says. The vision of God in relation to evil and suffering is frivolous regarding the modern church. The vision of the modern church, at, you know, by and large, of God in relation to evil and suffering is frivolous. The church has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the bible much of the church is choosing to become more light more shallow and more entertainment oriented therefore it has been successful in it, it has become successful in its irrelevance to massive suffering and evil in the world the popular god of the fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in his hand The Bible explodes such trivial notions of the biblical God. He does hold the hurricane in His hand. He holds the tsunami in His hand. He holds the cancer in His hand. He's the Almighty Sovereign God. Satan is a dog on a leash. He's the Almighty Sovereign God. It's one thing you learn if you study Job. (laughs) It's one of the things you learn. Job doesn't understand. But, he worships. And what Satan means for evil in Job's life, someone finish, can someone finish that sentence? What, what Satan means for evil, God means for good. This is what the real Christian understands. And so we stand there in the storm and we trust our Father. Yes? Yes? Because we understand, Satan's coming after me. He means this for evil, but God means it for good. God, what do we say so many times in this church? When you're in the midst of a trial, what's going to happen? (laughs) God's coming. If you're in the midst of a trial, God's coming to you. God never doesn't come to His kids in the trial. It's a God encounter, as we've said many, many, many times. And I want you to understand God's best gift to His children is not health, wealth, and prosperity. Those are great blessings. But that's not the best gift he gives. The best gift he gives is himself. And that's what he's going to give to Job. He's going to give himself more fully to Job. The balance here of chapter 2, and for the next 33 chapters, Job's friends come, and they seek to comfort him by Uh, telling him that there has to be some sin in his life or this would not have happened. You probably are familiar with the story. Job's friends actually exacerbate his suffering. Job arrives at the same place our 17-year-old quadriplegic arrived at. He says, my soul would choose death rather than this. My soul would choose death. While Job never renounces God or discards his faith and trust in the Lord... He voices his complaint against God and he questions the wisdom of God. Let me just share four verses with you from those 33. Job 10:1 and 2. This is Job. Job says, I'll give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou hast uh, contended with me. Job 13:3. Job says, I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue with God. Did you hear that? Job 23, 3 and 4, Oh, that I knew where I might find the Lord, that I might come to His seat. I would present my case before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. I suspect that some of you have felt this before. Job 31, 35, Oh, that I had one to answer me. Behold, here is my signature. Let God answer me! Is what Job says. Well, God does answer Job, yes? Yes? God does answer him. While he's under no obligation, God, listen, God doesn't explain himself to anyone. If you've been in this church very long, you understand that. I say this frequently God owes no man an explanation, nor does he give an explanation. He has revealed himself graciously to all who would repent and believe, but he explains himself to no one. Can you imagine people demanding an explanation from their creator, a creature, no less? Dust in the wind demanding an explanation from their creator. It's it's yeah, it's crazy. So Job doesn't find God, but what? God finds Job. You can turn with me if you'd like over to Job thirty eight. Job thirty eight. I'm just gonna read some selected verses here. Don't have time to read it all. You can read the rest of it at your leisure. Just some selected verses. And notice what God says and what God doesn't say. Verse 38. I'll pick up here verses 1-4. through Then the Lord answered Job out of a world when He said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct Me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Where were you, Job? Look at verse 12. Job, have you ever commanded, your, uh, have you ever in your life commanded the morning, Job, and caused the dawn to know its place, Job? Turn over to verse 16. Job, have you entered into the springs of the sea, or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know this, Job. Do you know it? God comes with 70 questions. He doesn't answer any. He comes with 70. Oh, how many does Job answer? Does anyone remember? Zero. This is Job's qualifying exam. It's as if God says, oh, you want to debate me? Here's your qualifying exam. 70 questions. He made an F. He got none of them. Let me just continue. Let me continue. I'll read a few more. Look at verse 31. Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of, of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Job! Insert your own name there. If you're one given to questioning God and calling God to account, just insert your own name here. It's like God comes He says, Oh, <laughs> infinite mind. He comes and says, Oh, you want to take me on with your two and a half pounds of gray matter? Is that what you really want to do, Job? I think it's a beautiful thing that God does. He he puts Job in his place. It's really a beautiful thing that he does. God continues like this. I'll go on. Let's, Let's go down to chapter 40, verse 1. God continues to ask questions. Chapter 40, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Job, Will a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Job, Jim Albright, Monsia, Calvin, anyone who would dare question the Lord God Almighty, insert your own name there, God doesn't come explaining Himself, but He does come to reveal Himself. I love this. I love this account. I love this account. God comes to explode the trivial notions that Job has about God. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, gird up your loins like a man. It reminds me of that, that great verse in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. You'll remember it. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Oh, the arrogance. The arrogance and haughtiness of mankind. Even many in the church just the arrogance and haughtiness. Romans nine twenty. Does not the potter have the right over the clay, beloved? You belong to him, even if you don't love him, even if you don't know him. You're his property. You're his intellectual property. He made you out of dust. You know your ancestors are nothing quite so glamorous as a monkey. You came from dust. You came from dust and God assembled you in His own image. Amen? This is the dignity of man. God gives man dignity. Man takes it away with his stupidity and his futile theories. But our dignity rests in the fact that God made us in His image. The Creator comes to the creature and he says I am God you know this is what we need to do sometime beloved we need to do this put our hands over our mouth and lay on our face just shut up and and lay on your face prostrate yourself before the Lord this is what we need to do as creatures sometimes particularly we call ourselves Christians Remember Job's words? He said, I'm going to argue with God. I'm going to vent my complaint. He says, man, I wish I knew where He was. I would present my case to Him. Look what Job says. Chapter 40, verse 3, after God comes with part of His exam. Chapter 40, verse 3, Job answered the Lord. He said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to Thee? I lay my hand on... Oh, yeah, there it is. I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer even twice, I will add no more. It's like Job says, Oh, I get it now. You be God, I'll be me. Is that the way it is with you and Jesus? (laughs) Are you still trying to be God? It will not work. You can't be a real Christian. If you're trying to run your own life, you can't be a Christian. Only if you're giving it up. Giving it up to God. Job Job gets the he he gets the he gets the right answer here. God, you be God. I'll just be me. This is this is uh Job's conclusion. A well-founded conclusion. 42 God asked Job a few more questions and then Job can't answer them either. So we get over to verse, chapter 42. Let me just quickly read Job's response. Verse 42, Job says, I know, chapter 42, verse 2, I know that thou canst do all things. This is Job speaking to God. And that uh, no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 5 I have heard of thee by the ear, by the hearing of the ear, but now, what does he say? Now, my eye, what? Do you understand? If the hard thing comes, beloved, keep a watch out for God. He's coming. If you belong to him, he's coming. He's coming. He's going to teach you, he's going to reveal himself to you. It's the best gift he has to give. <laughs> it's not health, wealth, and prosperity. This is junk compared to who he is. It's all passing away compared to who the Lord is. Verse 6 of chapter 42, Job says, Therefore I ret- retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I had a seminary professor who went through a, a time of... Uh, the Debilitating depression, you couldn't get out of bed. But you know what he said about that depression? It lasted for over a year. You know what he said? He, he used the word benevolent. He said it was a benevolent thing. He says it was a giving trial. I love these terms. It was a benevolent gift from God. It was a giving trial. Why? Guess who came to him? God came to him. And fundamentally changed his life even though he was already a Christian, but he fundamentally took him deeper than he'd ever been before. It's a beautiful testimony. It's a beautiful testimony. You know, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and he concluded that God, you know, God wants everybody to have a trouble-free, happy life, but He just can't manage it. He's frustrated. He's thwarted. He's impotent. This is false. This is not the God of the Bible. The rabbi has not met I am. Or he would not speak like this. Our God, the God of the Bible, He always has His hands on His children. He's always doing a mighty thing. Beloved, God will not long let you hold trivial notions about Him. He will come to you. He will come to you and teach you back to Peter real quick. One thing I want to tell you about Peter, you know the story. You know the story. But Jesus when he, when he was talking to Peter there in Luke chapter 22, and I love this. You can't, you can't help but love this if you're a Christian. Luke 22:32. Jesus says, "I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail." I love it. The Son of God is praying for you. We know if we read Romans probably. Yeah, Romans chapter 8. Two members of the Trinity are praying for us. The Spirit of God and the Son of God are interceding for us. On your worst day, remember, two members of the Trinity are interceding for you. Beloved, this is awesome stuff. I just fear we don't think deeply about it and we don't apply it and we don't use it. I want to finish up going back to that beautiful young woman who had that diving accident. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Johnny Erickson Tata. The woman who wanted to die when she was 17 because she couldn't face a life of quadriplegia. The woman who prays down the strength of God every day simply to get out of bed. She has written 30 books. She has a daily radio show with one million listeners. And she's in charge of an international ministry who gets wheelchairs to the disabled in... The third world. She says God used her suffering to sandblast her to her core that she might be better bonded to Jesus. That's a beautiful truth, beloved. So I want to encourage you tonight, no more trivial notions about the living God. When the trial comes, just know that God is coming. I like what Piper says. God will let you totter. He will let His children totter to see if they will fall on Him. Will you fall on God when the hard day comes? That's how Johnny Erickson Tata gets out of bed every morning. She falls on God. In the morning, she hears her girlfriend coming. Let me just close with this. Through the house to get her out of bed, she says, God, I can't do quadriplegia today. And God says, I know I'll help you. She tells God that She said, I don't have a smile for my girlfriend this morning. And God says, I know you can use mine. Beloved, we have endless resource because our God has endless resource. Even if we're quadriplegic, when the trial comes, fall on God. It's what real Christians do. And I'll close with second... Chronicles, pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you know what Paul said. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart, for these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Amen? Beloved, trust your sovereign God. Trust your sovereign God. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to your unbelieving friends. Don't listen to the world. You preach to yourself out of the Word of God. If you're having a hard time and you've hit the bottom and you don't know what to do, call me. I'll preach to you. Free. Free of charge. Beloved, I haven't been absolutely to the bottom, but I've been close. Guess what I discovered there? My God is faithful. Come on. My God met me there, beloved. My God met me there. He'll meet you there too. Don't you dare doubt Him. Don't you dare doubt Him. We're going to come to the Lord's table tonight. We have open communion in this church, which means that anyone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ and followed Him in believers' baptism, you're welcome to come and partake of the table. Prepare your hearts. Don't come to the table, as I said earlier, in an unworthy manner. How we do this, Kelvin will play a short song, maybe three or four minutes. While he's playing, prepare your heart. Just prepare your heart to come. During the song, when you're ready, just get up, come up here. uh, Take the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat. Don't partake of the elements until I stand and read a text. Okay? During the song, as you're ready, come and partake of the elements. Go, well... Come and get the elements. Go back to your seat. And then we will partake after I read a scripture. Okay? Thank you for the-